I remember it, I was instantly sweating. I was like, what am I doing? I'm ready, I need to go do this. It just, everything really was clear all of a sudden. And that was on a Sunday. And on Tuesday, I gave notice. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey, everybody, it's Jason Patria, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast exactly for people like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand towards your next career breakthrough. Well, we have got an exciting show for you today because I have an old pal from my years growing up in Pasadena. It is Katie Polsby, who is the CEO and owner of CW. Stockwell. But before we get to Katie, I want to talk a little bit about the Lead With Your Brand system and some things that you can do this week to get closer to that next career breakthrough. You know, great brands are defined as much by what they don't do as what they choose to do. Let me say that again. Great brands are defined by what they choose not to do as well as what they choose to do. So as you are thinking about your brand, as you are thinking about your brand attributes, all of those words that then we peel back the onion on to find the behaviors that let you show up that way, it's important to identify exactly what you are not along the way. Now, I remember years, years ago when I was working with the fabulous Bravo Network and helping them do their business transformation as they grew from sort of the Queer Eye channel to really being a top 20 network, a top 10 network, and then a top five entertainment basic cable network. And one of the great things about Bravo was that it was all about the brand. You see, at Bravo, they knew exactly what it was to be so Bravo and exactly what it was to be not Bravo. Now, when I think back, they were all about their brand attributes. You know, they would say things like, we're fun, we're witty, we're inventive, we're original, we're stylish, we're bold. But sitting right next to those words, they said, but we are never this. They said, we are never this. And the great thing about this was they were defining, these are our tailwinds that help us go further And here's when those tailwinds are too much or too much energy that they actually become headwinds and take us off brand. So let me give you an example. They would say something like, at Bravo, we are fun, but we're never silly. They would say something like, at Bravo, we are witty, but you know what? We are never sarcastic. They would even say something like, you know what, at Bravo, we are smart, but we're not 
academic. So you see what they said there? They put out their supersized words, but then they put those guardrails on where they went over the line and became off-brand for them. So I want you to think for yourself. You have defined those great brand attributes for yourself. When do they go too far and turn into a headwind that are dragging you back? When do they cross the line and become something that is off-brand for you? You know, I even think of my own brand. I talk a lot about being a showman, right? And and to me, being a showman is about someone that can stand up on stage and excite people, that someone that can choreograph a three-ring circus and herd cats and bring a little bit of Hollywood flair there. But I realize that when I talk about being a showman, I'm a showman, but I'm not egotistical. I am a showman... But I am not a used car salesman, right? So I'm constantly thinking to myself, hey, I'm showing up as a showman, but I'm constantly looking for those behaviors that ensure that I don't cross the line into being off-brand into those things that people don't like about being a showman. So think for yourself, what are those great brand attributes that define you? And where is it that they cross the line into the nevers and nots so that you can constantly know when you are going off brand? And speaking of great brands, let's get into our interview with Katie Polsby. Now, I told you she is the CEO and owner of CW Stockwell. Now, she's an entrepreneur and home decor industry veteran who's had an extensive career leading merchandising and product development strategies for major decor and lifestyle brands, including Serena and Lily, Warby Parker, and West Elm, which is part of the Williams-Sonoma family of brands. This has been the perfect background for her to lead the historic design brand CW Stockwell into its next chapter as CEO. We'll be back in just a few moments with Katie Polsby. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we're back, and I am super excited for today's guest. It is Katie Polsby, my old bud, but more importantly, she is the CEO and owner of CW Stockwell. Katie, what's going on? So nice to be here, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, I am just like so excited to talk to you. So let's just jump right in. For people who don't know you and people don't know what you do, how do you introduce yourself or how do you explain what you even do? It's it's actually constantly evolving, but lately <laughs> what I say is I'm Katie Polsby and I run and own a century-old heritage textile brand called CW Stockwell. And most people know the brand only through a sort of very signature iconic pattern that we've been producing by hand in Los Angeles since the early 1940s called Martinique. And that wallpaper was famously installed a few years later at the Beverly Hills Hotel. 
and has been there ever since. So it's probably one of the most famous wallpapers in the world. And uh, the story of how I came about to end up in this role is is quite lovely and very convoluted. But uh, <laughs> currently, I would say I have my dream job that, you know, 20 years in the retail side of the home and design space very wonderfully prepared me for. Yes. And of course, for our listeners who love Martinique, and you know, I have tons of Golden Girls fans. So it's also like Blanche Devereaux's bedroom, right? Exactly. Is is classic Martinique. What? So what exciting things are you working on right now at CW Stockwell? Well, actually, it's it's amazing timing because yesterday we just launched a brand new collection called Martinique Celebration. And that was a year-long sort of under wraps partnership that evolves between myself and the founder of Vutsa, which is another amazing textile brand based um, between New York and L.A., and uh, I became friends with George Venson um, sort of organically. One day I had this sort of very weird vision. I'm not somebody who has visions often during the day, but it was the idea of somebody painting, hand-painted sort of flowers atop Martinique, which as it sort of spaced through my brain, I thought that would be amazing. And then one day later, George, through Vutsa's Instagram account, reached out to us and we had never been in touch before. And I realized because I had been a huge fan of his brand for several years, that he would be the absolutely perfect person to try to talk to about this idea. And so we met in Los Angeles for the first time. And after a three hour conversation where we just completely hit it off, I mentioned this idea and we both sort of got really excited. And so unbelievably, just during quarantine, we worked on this. Uh, You know, he was actually completely remote by himself, isolated in a farmhouse in upstate New York. And actually because of quarantine had to sort of revert back to organic, old school, manual art. Uh, You know, he's very much a digital artist these days, but is trained as a fine artist. And so what he did was hand paint five different iterations atop our Martinique Encore wallpaper. Each version is sort of an indirect tribute to five artists that really inspired him throughout his career from Henri Matisse to Werner Herzog. So that just launched yesterday. It's a collection of five fabrics and wallpapers they're each one completely divine. And uh, given just the last year that we've had, it's something that I'm super excited about and so proud of just based on the way that the collaboration has come together and the friendship that we developed and the sort of incredible partnership that we had in building this. Um, it sort of speaks volumes to what I have aspired to in my career, just meeting people and relishing that sort of connectivity and finding ways to do really fun things with them. Yeah. And I was looking at the Instagram posts and it's just so beautiful. And so I want to use the word delicious. And I love how you're sort of talking about this is a co-branding opportunity that's really based on having a great relationship. But at the end of the day, right, the two brands actually have to work well together from a consumer perspective. So what made this marriage feel right for you from a branding perspective? Well, it's a great question. And honestly, it's something that was such a delight because I realized right away, oh my gosh, I'm the owner of this company and I'm the boss. And if I want to do this, I can do it. I don't have to ask anybody. (laughs) And 
also, you know, from the outset, George and I just said, let's do this as long as it feels fun. And if it stops feeling fun at any point uh, for either of us, it's really easy for us to say, you know what, I have too much going on or this doesn't feel right all of a sudden. But throughout the whole process, you know, the, the, the partnership was so strong and we discovered, we just kept discovering throughout the whole thing, even up till this morning and, and figuring out what our next Instagram post is going to be, how much we are sort of dovetailing in terms of our skill set and strengths and weaknesses in terms of marketing and design and all these things. But from a co-brand standpoint, it, I have to say, you know, there wasn't something that was incredibly strategic about this, um, except for that I knew that Vutsa and the CW Stockwell sort of Venn diagram is, there's definitely a large sort of overlap in the center, but I knew that there were a lot of people who know about CW Stockwell that really should know about Vutsa and vice versa. A very important part of my career in this role is going to be continuing to connect CW Stockwell, the brand with Martinique, the brand, because for the last 20 to 30 years, our brand CW Stockwell was a bit dormant. Um, The previous owner who was a close family friend of ours was headed into retirement at the exact same moment the internet was born. And so during that sort of trajectory, there wasn't a lot of emphasis being placed on the brand name itself there wasn't marketing being done. You know, this company had its very a huge heyday in let's say the 40s through the 70s. And our friend Remy Chatain Jr., he joined the company in 1950 when his mother Lucille was the president. Lucille was amazing, and we'll get to her too. But so from 1950 until 2013, when he passed away, he had been very, very active as the sort of sole proprietor and main employee of the company. So you can imagine that starting in the mid-1990s, he was probably pretty tired and was like, I'm good. I did a lot of great things. (laughs) Yeah, right. But what I've realized is the connectivity between Martinique and CW Stockwell really needed to be rebuilt. And so from a strategic point of view, this collaboration with Vutsa is another way a really fun way of saying, yes, this is our pattern and look what we get to do with it because it's ours. Um, So that was something that felt really smart from a strategic point of view of just sort of putting more Martinique out there without it feeling like the Martinique store. You know, I think it it still feels very singular and very artistic and very different. And obviously anyone who wants the Blanche Devereaux slash Beverly Hills Hotel look, you know, can still come to us for the original green Um, But we have new colorways of that as well as now this new collection. And I think it's just (laughs) that was one of the reasons we named it Celebration um, was what was let's celebrate this incredibly iconic pattern by sort of rebuilding it in this fun and totally unexpected way. Yeah. So I love that you said you had that aha moment like. I'm the owner. I don't have to ask anyone for permission to do this. So talk to me about how you broke through to actually be the CEO and owner of CW Stockwell. So this is a fun story. And um, I love it because it involves my powerhouse mother, Jill Polsby. Of course. Who you you know and love. Um, So I mentioned Remy Chatain Jr. He was this incredibly brilliant designer and powerhouse behind C.W. Stockwell. And his grandfather was the person who founded C.W. Stockwell. His grandfather was named Clifton Stockwell. And so 
when Remy and his partner moved to Pasadena, which is where I grew up in the mid 1990s, he and my mom became close friends just in the neighborhood because he moved right around the corner from my childhood home. And so they started to see each other on the street. He would be walking his dogs. She's a really outgoing person. So she introduced herself. And one of the things that she really wanted was to see the inside of his gorgeous home. (laughs) Which is such a Pasadena thing, right? Exactly. Like, oh, let me in there. So anyway, that was just something that was the beginning of their friendship. Very soon after they met, about two years after his partner passed away. So then he was alone in the home. And, and, you know, this is after my brother and I went to college and were out of the house. So, you know, she was really happy to have a neighborhood friend and they used to go to the opera together. They used to go to the theater in LA. And it was really just this wonderful, happy friendship that developed. And I would say in about 2011, he was diagnosed with a terminal illness and knew that it would be a while, but knew that he you know, needed to sort of tidy up his affairs and asked my mother to be the executor of his estate, which was very, you know, he had been very successful. And so there was a lot for her to manage, including, you know, multiple real estate holdings and an incredible art collection, an insane collection of antiques. And so all these things she dealt with sort of one by one after he passed and realized towards the end of all this, oh my gosh, he we never actually had any conversation about what he imagined would happen with the company because he had been very clear to her, oh, you know, I think Bonhams would be great for the art and so and so, you know, he mm-hmm. was very thoughtful about the rest of his estate. And now in the research that I've done, I think it seems very clear that he assumed the company would just sort of fall away uh, by the wayside, which really would have been a tragedy. And back to Jill Polsby, the powerhouse, she's <laughs> mainly because she and I, none of us had any idea of, you know, if we were to sell the company, who would it go to and what would be the right asking price and how do we even begin? But and so in the meantime, my mom just she just said, you know, how hard can this be? This this can't be that hard. You know, maybe I'll just keep it going until we know a little bit more. And so she figured out how to keep Martinique in production. She, you know, drove all around Los Angeles in her PT cruiser. <laughs> bribing the warehouse manager and our printer with bunt cakes to keep things going until she could figure all this out. And I'm sure that they were kind of like, who's this crazy lady from Pasadena, but I'll do whatever she says. (laughs) And at the time I was running merchandising at Serena and Lily, uh, the home decor company based in the Bay area in Sausalito. And I had been there since 2011. And so midway through my time there was when all of this was happening And I kept thinking about CW Stockwell, and I think I had this sort of abstract idea that at some point I would get involved and would help my mom with it. But I think because of exactly what was happening at Serena and Lily at the time, which was right when I, right when this was happening, Serena and Lily was also in the process of taking on its first big round of funding. And I was sort of watching the two founders who were close friends of mine go through that whole experience of sort of figuring out how to maintain hold on, you know, the culture and the ideas behind, you know, the company that you started while also trying to figure out how to scale it. And it was definitely a stressful time in the company, even, you know, for people outside of the two founders, I think it was a, it was a very sort of, um, 
you know, it was a, it was a roller coaster as we, you know, continued to bid for more funding, et cetera. And I just, I kept thinking, I, I remember this specifically, how would I, if I were to start my own company, how would I do it in such a way that allowed me to really hold the reins forever and, and grow it organically and not, you know, not have to worry about the demands of outside funding and, all of those things. It was just something that I kept thinking about. And as I iterated on it over those few years, I kept thinking, I'm not quite there yet. I don't exactly know how I would do it if I were to just jump off here and, you know, sort of take the reins from my mom. And so it's an interesting time because also in those same sort of five years, uh, there was a really big sort of growth period for, I'll call it sort of small batch textile brands. Um, a lot of smaller uh, brands that were putting out really beautiful hand-printed collections of fabrics and wall coverings. And at the same time, there was also a really interesting transition from the gigantic design centers that used to sort of dominate the interior design space, such as the D&D building in New York mm-hmm. or the Pacific Design Center because as a person, as just a regular person, anytime that I would go into any of those places, it felt so, so intimidating and just not a fun customer experience, you know, especially if you weren't with a designer. If you were just a regular person, you weren't even looked at when you walked in, no matter who who you looked like or how you were dressed. It was just this yeah. horrible experience. And I kept thinking, I, you know, so my background is 10 years at West Dome, a year at Warby Parker and seven years at Serena and Lily. And I just, all of those brands made it so important to think about what's the customer experience? How are they feeling when they walk in? How is this going to, how are we going to make them feel so welcome that they want to come back over and over again? And I was like, that does not equate to what any of these designer brands are offering yeah. when, when they're sold in these showrooms. So anyway, long story short, I think in that same five-year period, more showrooms started to open up that were doing things really differently. And in, and in my opinion, just a much more sort of forward thinking way of doing this kind of business where they were playing fun music and you could come in whether you were a designer or not. And there was really interesting art on the walls and it was a really eclectic collection of, of things that made it feel warm and cozy and inviting. And I was just like, okay, now I see these brands that are doing things in a really fun and interesting and sort of small way. They're not having to suddenly, you know, make thousands of furniture pieces to try to make money. They're not, you know, all that just sort of started to, to crystallize for me. And then I did have a very incredible epiphany moment in my parents' garage in Pasadena right around the end of 2017. And I had been at Serena and Lily for quite some time. And I was, I have to say, I really, I wasn't unhappy there. I was quite happy. It was actually a very sort of upward moment in my trajectory Mm -hmm. there. I had just been promoted to vice president of merchandising. I had an incredible relationship with my boss, the, the curtain CEO. It was a really fun time. We were opening lots of stores, but I was standing in my parents' garage. I had to go get something for my mom. And I, I actually just happened upon the stack of wallpaper books, uh, sample books that I had rescued from the warehouse um, that we actually had to kind of vacate once Remy had passed away. I, I actually went down there that day, you know, five years prior and just took anything that seemed like it was fun to yeah. look at. 
but I hadn't really looked at the, any of those in four or five years. And I just started flipping through them in the garage. And I, I remember it, I was instantly sweating. I was like, what am I doing? I need to, I need to, I'm ready. I need to go do this. It just, everything really was clear all of a sudden. And that was on a Sunday. And on Tuesday, I gave notice at Serena and Lily. And it was just, it had never been more clear that, you know, the business model was very, very apparent to me. And that really there was no time like the present because I actually internally at Serena and Lily, I saw how well wallpaper was doing for us. And I knew what was going on in the design world, which is that, you know, pattern was really very much back and I didn't see it going anywhere anytime soon. So I felt like, oh my gosh, you know, I should have started this yesterday, but here, here we are. And so you have this great epiphany and I actually love that it comes full circle because it, it, the Martinique celebration is really going back to the garage of like celebrating all of this amazing stuff that you, you saved from, from the uh, warehouse. It's one thing to know that you want to do something. And then it's another thing to like jump off the cliff from, I get a steady paycheck. Uh, you know, I, I work for a big brand that everybody knows. I'm not responsible for that much stuff like the founders. Exactly. What was, what made it comfortable for you to like jump off the cliff and say, boom, I'm going to, I'm going to be the CEO here. The the buck is going to stop with me and I'm going to do this. Thankfully, I didn't think too much about that. I think, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of moments in my career where I I would like to say in hindsight, like, oh, it's a very thoughtful and strategic decision. And I spent, you know, a month, you know, calculating all of the, you know, business expenses, et cetera. Listen, I knew that we had a very steady revenue stream already from Martinique. You know, we had two very large sort of wholesale customers that had been selling Martinique on our, you know, basically on our behalf for the last 10 to 20 years. And it continued to grow in popularity. So there, I was very lucky. You know, I know that this is very rare. You know, I was actually it's a century old startup that already had a very great revenue stream with a very low overhead um, in terms of, you know, per, all we had was the cost of production. Uh, we weren't spending any money on any other thing. So um, for the, for the first, you know, couple years, really that, that was enough to sort of keep me, you know, fed <laughs> and dressed. Um, it was definitely a, a very big adjustment from a salary standpoint, but um yeah, I think I, I I I had been helping my mom in the probably like six months before leaving Serena and Lily, so I knew what the revenue looked like, and so I was able to you know basically subsist on that while working on the collection that we launched in 2019 when we basically relaunched the entire brand. Yeah. So Katie, talk to me about being a little bit early in your career. How did you even break into working for all of these major decor and lifestyle brands? I think back to college and again, this is this, I'm I'm sensing a theme here, which is um, right place, right time, maybe, or um, just happy sort of coincidences. I think I, um, I, I was a Spanish major at Georgetown. And at the same time, my cousin Kelly was a, an early buyer for Pottery Barn and so during during holidays when I would come home and, and chat with her and hear about her job, 
I always thought that sounded incredible. You know, at the time she was traveling all around the world, she would research, you know, vintage American quilts and then put them, you know, put new versions of them into work with her favorite partners in India. And I just thought that would be incredible. You know, what if I was traveling the world using my Spanish major? <laughs> you know, in hindsight, obviously, I wasn't traveling to Spanish speaking countries, but I, I thought it would be really amazing to, to do a similar thing to what she had done. And, and, you know, I really always credit her for giving me the vantage point of that such a career existed, because I don't think I would have known about it. And I was also very lucky because when I graduated from college was the year 2000. And we, we obviously huge moment of the initial dot com boom. And I knew I, I knew that I wanted to move to San Francisco. But that very that one year, William Sonoma Inc., was doing this incredible corporate trainee program that um, they actually never have done since, which is such a a tragedy because it was incredible learning for me. I was one of 12 recent college graduates who basically for three months had no direct responsibility other than to learn how the company worked from inventory management to catalog marketing to sourcing and customs imports to actual retail merchandising and and it was an incredible way of at you know age whatever 22 to see the really big picture of how a, a, a large retail company worked and also to see what goes into it and you know what kinds of roles there are for you know making that one vase end up on the shelf at Pottery Barn. Um, and again, right place, right time, right then the early, early stages of the brand new brand West Elm was just getting started and they needed somebody uh, to do all of the the junior level stuff. And I was happy to be that person because I think I saw early on that I was more suited. I always have been for the scrappy startup life versus the very well-established, you know, behemoth brands. Yeah. And I, I, I don't mean to denigrate, you know, the, the behemoth. I think that there's a lot to be said for people who can swim in that large pool and manage that show. I always think it's more fun to think about new ways of doing things and to think about how to build the right spreadsheet to make the right decisions about your product and all those kinds of things to really sort of build from the ground up has always been my cup of tea. Knowing that I could be at that brand, you know, which actually was so, so fun because we were this startup, but very much funded and protected by the larger umbrella of Williams-Sonoma Inc., and so early on, I was doing everything from opening boxes and building furniture to <laughs> sawing swatches to send, to send to India and everything in between and, and got such an incredible view of how an assortment gets built and how you think about basically building an entirely new brand. And the woman who at the time was in charge of that brand, Lisa Versaccio, was so, so articulate in terms of this is the brand, this is not the brand. And they could be so close. And, you know, a 22 year old would be like, I think they're the same, but it was really helpful to see that sort of those decisions being made so strategically and so thoughtfully to, to position a brand on its own. And even actually she moved us from San Francisco to New York and even, you know, went so far as, you know, specifying that she did not want William Sonoma's return address to be in our catalogs initially. She said, this brand needs to stand on its own. We need to set mm -hmm. ourselves up 
to be our own brand and, you know, whether or not people like or know about William Sonoma owning us, like this is just, we are West Elm and this is what we are. And we need to sort of set foot in the, in this sphere on our own. And so a lot of those early lessons, I think, have really stuck with me in terms of, you know, you definitely need to lead with what the sort of outward experience of the brand is first. And you then have to build the machinery and the framework to support it. And so let's talk about your brand. How would you describe your brand as a CEO? I think I'm still shaping it because I think there's still moments like I alluded to earlier where I can't really believe that I am a CEO and owner of this amazing company. But I think that actually speaks to my brand, which is that I want to I want to always have this balance of we're working really hard, but we're having so much fun. And we are so passionate about this brand that everything kind of falls naturally, you know, that we we are working, you know, maybe there's days where we're here way longer than we would like, but it's because we're doing things that we love. So I think I would say I'm, I, I'm a, I'm casually strategic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. So I think that my, my luck and sort of the, the brands that I've worked for has really actually built my personal brand, which is that I don't take myself too seriously. I'm very open. I'm very direct. I, I don't, I, I don't feel like there's any secret to any of the things that I do. I think I love, I love sharing the things that I've learned. I love being open with peers in my current field. I, I don't have the sort of mystique of, you know, the CEO type. I don't, I don't think I ever will. I think that I lead by example. I lead by openness and honesty and, you know, so far that has served me well, because if, I, if I've ever had any sort of issue or problem, I just go directly to the source and try to work it out. And so you talked earlier about, you know, you almost went to, you know, the uh, the scrappy school of branding at West Elm, right? In, in knowing like, this is on brand, this is off brand, right? And so you've talked about, you know, on brand for Katie is casually strategic. It's open and being direct and candid. What is off-brand for you? That's a great question. I think off-brand is anything too corporate, anything super structured. I think I I think that historically in my career, when things have you know actually at West Elm it happened where suddenly we were this huge company and we were trying to slot in products that we weren't actually that excited about just to make sure that our pillow business would comp, you know, and it was like, well, this will sell a certain amount. So we'll just put it in the line. And it was kind of clear to me at that point that off brand is doing things just for the sake of doing them. And, and as soon as it, again, like it's what I said with, with the partnership with George Venson, like as soon as it stops being fun, I know that it's sort of a red flag. It's something that I'm doing something wrong or I have veered veered off course or I've just been focused on the wrong things. I think it's really important to maintain perspective about trying to, you know, look at a job as something that helps you bring joy into your own life as well as, you know, to your customers, et cetera. 
So I think off-brand is anything that feels too rigid and feels too serious. Honestly, I think, you know, if, if you use those two words as a, as a filter, I think it really applies to pretty much everything from like, you know, actual branded materials to your captions on Instagram to the copy on your website. I think I'm trying to always think about, you know, what would make somebody smile and what would make a little bit of brightness in somebody's day? Because otherwise, like, I don't really know why I'm doing this. Yeah. And so as someone that has been an ambassador and champion of brands, right, and revitalizing the CW Stockwell and Martinique brand and all of the great uh, lifestyle brands you've worked for, what are some tips or tools that you have used to help amplify those brands that you think individuals could turn and use on themselves in their own career and personal brand? I think for me, it's again, that sort of what's the home base, you know, what is what are the keywords that you're trying to constantly refer back to for your brand for CW Stockwell, a word that I with a couple words that I use really often are insouciant, cheerful, joyful. And so I think if you have a couple of those words that, you know, when in doubt, or sort of when you're moving too fast, you can then kind of hone in on and be like, do these fit the sort of criteria or the filter that I've sort of built around this brand? Because again, if they don't, I think it's, it's really easy to stray. I think it's really important to stay focused on the, the, the key tenants that you built your brand on and make sure that they are healthy before you uh, get excited about the next thing. And I guess that's great advice as well as when you think about your career, right? Like there's a thousand things you can do, but like, what's the focus and, and how do you, how do you, how, how are you diligent in, in your words around what you're great at and keeping it great? Yeah. And I think actually, you know, I think a lot about this, like if this opportunity with CW Stockwell had happened 10 years prior I might have, it would, it would have been too soon. I think I needed to have this learning and understanding of sort of what companies can look like as they grow and as they sort of uh, ebb and flow. I think what's wonderful and I relish the most about my current position. And, and this is, this is cheesy when I say it, but it's true. I, I look at this as my life's work. And so what it means to me is that there's no rush. And it really resonates with me when you say right place at the right time, because it's not just being at, at the right place, right physically for the opportunity. What I'm hearing from you, Katie, is you need to be mentally in the right place, right? You you need to be at that that place where you're ready to shine. Absolutely. When you're on a high in your current job, it's like sometimes the last thing you want to think about is leaving, but it's like if you have this idea and you've you've wanted to start a business or you wanted to go into partnership with your friend, those are the kind of moments that you should sort of leverage or you should at least consider to leverage because it really helps to make that leap when you're in a positive space. Mm. Yes, words to live by. So some quick final questions for you, Katie. We're talking all about these fabulous lifestyle luxury brands. What is your favorite brand? Like, what are you obsessed with that's not, you know, not what you work on? The first thing that comes to mind is Claire V. Mm. She is an incredible LA-based accessories brand uh, that I have obsessed for, I don't know, the last 10 years. My goal personally would be to be sponsored by her. 
(laughs) (laughs) And if you were a car, what type of car would you be? 1987 orange Lotus convertible. If, if a car could be my brand, like that's something that I aspire to be. I want to be that girl in the, you know, vintage orange Lotus convertible. And finally, what is the best career advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners? Try to find things that make you happy and and keep seeking that out because they're there. And, and what I, what I'm always telling people when I speak to them about kind of career advice, whether they're my peers or younger people is that nothing is permanent, you know, and, and the, the sort of downward cast on the idea of, you know, you need to stay somewhere for three years or also won't look good on your resume, that kind of idea. I think that the, the kind of people that are seeking fulfillment and happiness in their career, that resonates more than, you know, staying in a job that they're miserable in just because they think it, you know, of of how it's going to look and how, what the appearance is. I think if you're passionate about what you do, that comes across really readily. And so I think just don't be afraid to keep trying to find that thing and, you know, and, and jump off when you're happy versus when you're miserable. (laughs) Words to live by again. Well, Katie, thank you so much for making all of us smile. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's, uh, it's what I, it's what I came here for. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Wow, what an amazing conversation with Katie Polsby, the CEO and owner of CW Stockwell. She had so much great advice that we can all take as we look at our career. But the one thing that really stood out to me was this notion of being in the right place at the right time. When Katie talked about that she could have done this work at CW Stockwell five years before, but in hindsight, she would have not been as successful because she wasn't in the right state of mind, really made me think about that term right place at the right time. You see, opportunities are knocking on your door all of the time, whether you see them or don't. But those opportunities and taking the risk to jump on them also counts on you being at the right place in the right time internally, which means you constantly have to be doing the work and leading with your brand every single day. So that's my challenge to you is don't just wait for an internal promotion opportunity to show itself. Don't just wait for a new posting on LinkedIn or Indeed to show up. You've got to do the work now so that when those opportunities knock, you're ready to jump and you have the confidence that your talents, your skills, and your passions are all aligned to meet that need. Well, that's the end of the show. I hope you had a great time. And if you did, go ahead and click that follow button so that you can get super served an episode of Lead With Your Brand every single Tuesday. And make sure you're following me on social media on all platforms at Jason Patria. And in your career, 
Never settle for being a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are a super premium, unique brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.